If you have any topic suggestions that you'd like to hear more about or questions that you're hoping that we could maybe address on a future podcast, you can click the Get in Touch box right on our website at ktsmoneymatters.com. And the Hardworking Woman's Guide to Money, available either on our website, KT's Money Matters, or on Amazon. Or of course, you can find our link in the show notes. Working with your investments, retirement, insurance, estate or tax planning, or just dealing with everyday expenses, your money matters. Let KT Thomas help you make the most of it. This is KT's Money Matters. Hey there, and welcome back. This is KT from KT's Money Matters with your tips and quips and ideas about spending money, saving money, growing money, investing money, losing money, although we don't like to talk about that very much. But what we are going to talk about today is about how we get in the way of our own good returns. You know, I was reading a really interesting article in Barron's last week, and the topic of the article was how to stop sabotaging your portfolio. It was written by Leslie Norton. And it interviewed a Nobel laureate, Richard Thayer, who is kind of like the founder. You know, I always think he's like the granddaddy of behavioral finance. The focus of almost all of his research is why people do what they do when they do it. Which I got to tell you, a conversation that I love because I always find why people do what they do to be so interesting. And then if you try to understand why they do what they do, it might help you understand what it is you should be doing when they're doing whatever it is they're doing. I'm going to talk about that more after the break. Happy New Year! 2020 kicks off a new decade. There's been a lot of change around money in the last 10 years since we had a decade turnover. In fact, in 2010, the world seemed bitter and sad. In 2020, it seems like opportunities abound. If your goal in 2020 is to get a handle on your finances, consider my book, The Hardworking Woman's Guide to Money, available on Amazon. Buy it for yourself or for any woman in your life that you love, that you hope will be able to get some inspiration to take control of their finances and force their own future. Hey, thanks for hanging out on me through the break. So when I was reading this article about sabotaging your portfolio, Richard Thayer had some ideas that are, I think, pretty basic in the asset management business today, but were, I don't know, profound 20 years ago when he first started talking about it. So I kind of went back and I thought about what it was like 30 years ago when I first started getting into the financial advice industry. And one of the things 30 years ago, different than today, is the average cost of a stock trade 30 years ago was about $200. And today, Schwab just came out a couple of weeks ago and basically said you could buy all their ETFs for free. So the barrier for making investment decisions has done nothing but get cheaper and cheaper and cheaper over the last 30 years to the point where it almost doesn't exist. Now, that's good. But in other ways, eliminating the cost of a change can be one of the things that gets in the way of taking time to make sure you make the right change, or frankly, leaving it alone. One of Thayer's biggest points is this idea of overconfidence. Somehow you saw it coming and now you're sure that you actually know how to see it coming again. Now you might be laughing when you hear this, but I got to tell you, not a year goes by 
probably not even six months goes by when someone who I like tells me how it was that they saw it coming and moved on it. Or how they know someone who saw it coming and moved on it, but they never really saw it. So they're just kind of hearing it. It's kind of like urban myth. 2019 was one of those years. If you did not puke in 2018, when the market fell apart so dramatically over the holidays, you found yourself set up for 2019 in a year, frankly, that very few people were predicting. By very few, I actually mean zero. One of the nice things about research is you get a chance to look back and see who is really saying what. And so in 2018, the market started to soften up and all of the, I don't know, pros, people that you know pontificate for a living about what they believe and what they think they see, were all saying that they saw growth in the U.S. in 2020, but not outsized growth in the U.S. They were talking mid-single digits. Pretty much all up and down Wall Street, that's all you heard. Mid-single digits. This will be a good year, but not a great year. There are definitely some things in the way. The markets had this 10-year rally. This could be the end. All bull markets have to end. We could be heading to recession. And fear, 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 fear. Now, despite having fear, many investors just stayed the course. Now, some of them stayed the course because they chose to stay the course. Some stayed the course because they didn't know how to change what they owned. And some stayed the course because they actually really believed that things were going to be good. It doesn't really matter why you stayed the course. But in hindsight, looking back, you're going to say, how smart was I that I didn't make any changes? I stayed fully invested and look at the great year I had in 2019. And it was a great year. U.S. stocks finished over 25%. We even made 8% in the bond market. And stocks overseas performed too. We even made 10% in gold. I mean, it was a great year. Now, how much did you, as an individual investor, either making decisions or choosing not to make decisions, add to that total return or take away? So that's Thayer's position. That just because you woke up on first base doesn't mean that you hit a single. Sometimes you're just in the right neighborhood at the right time and good things happen that didn't really have anything to do with you. That's going to hurt some feelings because I think a lot of people think that they have something that they're doing that's kind of nudging it. And I get it. Having been in the investment business for a long time now, the reality is your overall exposure or risk mix can matter. Some people are still picking individual securities. And Thayer basically tells us all that he thinks that that's a goose chase, that you should leave that to people that do it all day, every day. However, you know, I like a little individual stock action in my accounts as well. So, you know, maybe I'm one of the people he's trying to correct. However, what he was really talking about is this idea of believing that you were right by some predestined superpower that you didn't even know you had. That's overconfidence. And the reality is, someday you'll be wrong. You could have been wrong in 2018 when you decided to pull all your money out because you thought this is the beginning of the big sell-off. You could have been wrong in 2019 when in the summer of 2019, you thought, this is probably it. I should take some of my chips off the table. His point is, you don't know. You are guessing. And so what you need to understand is, if you don't know, you shouldn't act like you know. 
Now, here's what I'll say to you. In practical life, it's hard to be deciding that you're just going to put it in and leave it alone and you're never going to look at it. So I have some ideas for the rest of us. First, if you've never had any record and you don't do for a living and you don't spend a lot of time at picking stocks, you probably shouldn't. Today, the difference, you know, before it used to be you picked stocks or you bought a mutual fund that was fairly expensive. And today you have this nice thing in the middle. You could buy an exchange traded fund, which is a cheap way to own all the stocks in an index. And that could give you stock exposure without all the costs of a mutual fund. It's a great compromise for those that are no good at picking stocks or don't do it for a living. And in fact, you know, half of all active mutual fund managers underperform their benchmark. So it's not like even the people that do it for a living always do really great at it. And the more stocks you own, the more likely it is that you won't do as well. Really, the people that do better than the benchmark are the people that do pick the winners versus the losers. But doing that consistently is an elusive deal, even for pros. So if you're a novice and you think you're picking stocks, you should ask yourself, what are the chances that me with my current ability and time and research experience can outperform some of the best money managers in the world? I'm not saying you give them your money, but if you don't think you can outperform them, then maybe what you should do is index. I love indexing because it's cheap. It allows me to be all in. It helps me not decide Coke versus Pepsi. I just get to own all of them. I try not to worry about it. The other thing I would say that you probably should avoid if we're talking about stocks and you're a stock picker is IPOs, initial public offerings. I talked a little bit about this a few months ago when I talked about unicorns coming to the marketplace. I think investors can get very excited about what's next and want to be part of the new, new thing. But, and yes, I did make a Larry Ellison quote there, the new, new thing that just because it's new doesn't make it better and doesn't make it a better moneymaker. If you're doing it yourself and you've decided that I'm going to do my money myself. And, you know, frankly, I meet all kinds of people. And there are a lot of people that are actually very good at doing their own money. They have some hard and fast rules, though, that might be good for you if you're thinking about this. So I always call this rules-based asset management. You decide in advance what your ability to tolerate risk will be. And then you invest your money around that continuum. Rebalancing maybe a couple of times a year, maybe once a year. So as an example, if you know that you are someone that will throw up all over your investment statement, the minute something bad happens in the world, should I sell it and put it in cash? Should I run and hide? If you are that person and there's nothing wrong with that, you need to honor who you are and not invest like you're not that person. So an all-stock portfolio is for two kinds of people. Those who have other money elsewhere, so they're not worried about it. They can invest it forever and ever and ever. Or those people that never throw up. Yep, they're a small breed. There's a small group of very, very active, very aggressive investors who can tolerate wide swings in value 
and they don't grind their teeth at night. But that's not most people. Now, if you're that person and you want to own all stocks and you're a lot of years away from spending your money, then um, have at it. But what you can't do is decide when you see the wind blowing one way or another that you're not that person and you're going to change it in time and you're going to get it in front of the market and you're going to get out just in the nick of time because all of those ideas are lies. They're all just lies. You can't possibly be ahead of the market and know everything that the market doesn't know yet before the market knows it and then you took action on it. See, it's kind of like fairy dust. You know, when I say it out loud, that you'd know exactly when to get out and that you'd leave before everybody else figured it out, even the people that do it all day, every day, and that you'd go back in at exactly the right time when it hit the bottom because that would be perfect timing and you'd know exactly when that is. No one knows when that is. So what you want to think about is what could I own that I could live with? I could be happy about that I made quite a bit of money when the market was good, but maybe not as much money as others. Doesn't lose as much money when the market falls apart but it still loses some money. So I'm going to talk to you about the idea of picking various allocations. So we already talked about all stocks for the hardy few with a long time frame and a strong constitution. On the other side, the people with no constitution, 100% in cash, bank CDs, no investments whatsoever, they have other risks. Their account might not go up and down, but it certainly doesn't go up either. So what they're doing is they're agreeing to lose a little money every year against inflation and hope that they have enough money that they never have to worry about it. I also think that that is a very small percentage of real people. Most people are somewhere in the middle. So I'm going to start right in the middle. So let's say I am willing to take some risks, maybe lose as much as 10 or 12% in a year, a bad year, maybe make as much as 18 or 20% in a good year. That was a great year for everybody else. But mostly what I'm going to get is high single digit returns, more years than not. This is a definition of what I think about as 50% stocks and 50% fixed income, or what we used to call the balanced fund. What it's balanced toward is current income, and future growth. I like this kind of investment when I'm thinking about people that I know can't tolerate the risk. They want to own something that feels more stable, that fluctuates less when things go crazy, that still has enough money to make money when things are good, but not enough money to make a killing. If you are that investor, you're not 50-50 this year. You're 50-50 all the time. As you get closer to retirement, you might become a little bit more conservative than that because you're actually getting closer to needing your money. The next jump up is something that I call, or the industry calls, moderately aggressive. Here's what I'll say to you. Anything that says moderately aggressive means that it's more than 50% stocks and it's less than, say, 80% stocks. And this is just all about how much you can stand it. 65% stocks, 35% fixed income is a very common allocation for Americans. What it means is two-thirds of the money is in the market and a third of the money is not in the market. It's in the bond market or cash or you know other more conservative investments. People like it because they feel like they get the lion's share of return in good years. 
They get some market protection in bad years, but this kind of portfolio, like if I think about 2008, nine, like the last great big sell-off, stocks were down 45%. This kind of portfolio could be down 20%. And last year, right, stocks were up, I don't know, 28%. This kind of portfolio would have been up like 22%. So still would have felt amazing, but not quite as amazing as all stocks. But then in a bad year, significantly less risk than all stocks. And that's why a lot of people fall into this camp because they need long-term growth because retirement is a really long term. They want some market risk, but they can't stand all the risk of the market. You could be the other side of that. You could be 35% stock and 65% fixed income. What's that say? I need to earn more than inflation, but I don't want to take a ton of risk. I still have risk of losing my principal in any given year. But whoever you are as an investor, you need to fight the urge of becoming someone else when you get nudged which was one of the other things Richard Thayer talked about in his interview. The idea of investors getting nudged, they think, wow, things seem really good. I probably should be a little bit more heavily invested. They're looking back at last year's return and deciding that this year they need to up the risk so they can get more of it this year because they didn't get enough of it last year. They get nudged into moving their risk tolerance. Same thing on the downside. You have a bad year, you lose some money, Instead of staying invested in your allocation, you reduce your risk because you become more afraid because of what just happened. And then as a result, your investments don't recover as quickly as they would have if you had simply left them alone. So these rules-based asset management is about deciding who you're going to be and what you can live with and then not allowing yourself to be nudged by somebody else's idea. You need a long-term trend. Investments aren't for a week or a month, it's for years. If you're not capable of figuring out how to allocate yourself, then that's where you want to think about hiring a manager or a financial professional. If you're doing it yourself, you maybe want to pick, think about picking a couple of really big, really diversified exchange-traded funds or balanced mutual fund that meets your risk. And then you, that's right, period. You leave it alone once or twice a year. If you have an ETF portfolio, you look at the risk and say, am I still 65% stocks, 35% fixed income? And if you're a little bit off the allocation, it's okay. But if you're a lot off the allocation, you should rebalance. Some people believe in rebalancing twice a year. Some people believe in once a year. Some people look at it every three to five years. It doesn't matter to me what your rule is. It only matters to me that you apply your rule consistently. It was funny because one of the things he said in the article, they said, you know, what would you recommend to people when the news starts getting crazy? Because let's face it, the news has been absolutely crazy. And it doesn't even matter what side you're on. News is just crazy no matter where you look. And he said, I'd put on some music and I'd shut off the TV because you can't do anything that's going to change what it is you have based on what you hear on TV. There I said it. You can't pick it. All you can pick is your exposure to it and consistently manage that process. Happy New Year. Learn how to make sure that nobody nudges you and that you're never too confident about what you actually don't know. Until we speak again. Thanks for listening to KT's Money Matters with KT Thomas. For more information, past episodes, and show notes, 
go to www.ktsmoneymatterspodcast.com. Make sure you subscribe and recommend it at iTunes, Overcast, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.